You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finding Hope, How to Experience Christ as Never Before. In our Advent series, we looked at key texts where God revealed Himself to humanity. In this Epiphany series, we discover how Christians today continue to see and know Christ, the source of all joy, peace, and flourishing. We'll learn how to see Him in His Word, in each other, and in culture. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Romans 12, verse 4 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, my name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Peace be with you. We all long for the presence of Christ. Uh, Even unbelievers do, although they wouldn't probably express it that way. And what I mean is we all long for wholeness, for love, for peace, for joy, whether or not we realize that Jesus is the embodiment of all that we hope for. And he's the only way that we can experience these things forever. Last week, as we began this new series, Finding Hope, we saw that we can find Jesus in the scriptures. But can't we have some tangible evidence of his work, his ongoing work in this world? Some evidence that he loves us, that he cares for us 2,000 years after the last page of the Bible has been written. If you've been a Christian long, you know the answer that you're supposed to give. We see Christ in his church. We see Christ when we see each other. But often when we look at each other, we don't see Christ. Maybe we see people that we wouldn't have chosen to be in God's family if it were up to us. Uh, Maybe uh, we see people who have different ideas of how Christians should dress or vote or what kind of music Christians should listen to or how Christians should respond to various 
social issues. And even more so, often when our neighbors look at us, they don't see Christ. There's a famous quote that is often attributed to Gandhi. It says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. They see hypocrites. They see legalists. They see people who talk a good game about love, about being pro-life, but who often don't act backed it up with actions that bless their community, or who seem mostly concerned about their own rights, their lifestyle, their privileges, their status. How do we, how do we live into the truth of Scripture? How do we image Christ participating in him by the Spirit in a way that we can see it when we look at each other and our neighbors can see it when, we look at us, when they look at us? Well, today's text provides the answer, but first a little context. Our text is part of a letter that a Jewish Christian named Paul wrote to Christians in Rome just a few decades after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you may have noticed that we began in chapter 12. The original letter didn't contain chapters and verses, just like your emails don't contain chapters and verses, unless you want no one to read your emails. Scholars added chapters and verses centuries later to make it easier to look things up. So this section that we call chapter 12 begins three-fourths of the way through Paul's letter to his Italian friends. He begins chapter 12 with, and so, and these two words, and so, are very important. We're going to come back to them in a minute. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We present our bodies, meaning all that we are, to God. We say, God, all that I have, all that I am, belongs to you. Use it for your glory. This is what worship is all about. And when we present our bodies to God, collectively, we make up Christ's body. But before he expounds on that, Paul begins chapter uh, Romans 12 with the phrase, and so. Your translations may say, therefore. Either way, it means because of everything that I've written so far in this letter. So here's a summary of the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul says that Jesus Christ can save Jew and Gentile alike, bringing these hostile ethnic groups into one new family. Paul tells his fellow Jews that without Christ, they are as hopeless as the Gentiles were, that they must participate in their, the life of their ancient patriarch Abraham by spiritual descent, not by ethnic descent. In other words, they must put their faith in God, just as Abraham did, and not rely on their, um, their, their status as his ethnic descendants. Paul tells both groups that all people are ultimately descended from one common ancestor, and they share in his curse of death. That the law of Moses could not save Israel, that the Gentiles were grafted into the family of God by faith, so they have no room to boast or to be anti-Jewish. So everyone whom Christ has brought into this family must love each other and glorify God together. 
Now, not only is this family open to all ethnicities, but all classes, the poor, middle class, the rich, and women, even single women, which was startling news in such a patriarchal culture where a woman's only value was in getting married and producing sons or in being a prostitute. Those of you that have been following along in our our weekly short video series on Facebook, Women in Church History, you've seen how this played out time and time again in the early centuries of the church. Uh, A single woman gives her life to Christ rather than following in her family's religion. And as she is single, she chooses to be celibate. And this was something that the Roman Empire could not understand. They could not tolerate. And so time and again in the early centuries of the church, these single, celibate Christian women would be thrown in jail, would be tortured, would be executed for their faith in Christ. Paul will end this letter in chapter 16 with a strong commendation of the single Greek deacon Phoebe who has carried out Paul's letter, she's carried Paul's letter from Greece into Italy, where she will read it out loud to uh, the the Romans, the Italians, just as Megan read today's text out loud for us moments ago. Why are Roman paterfamilias listening to a single woman from Greece as she reads a letter from a Jewish man? Because of the spirit that has been working within them to flesh out the truth that they have heard in these first 11 chapters. Truth like chapter 5, verse 2, we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Truth like chapter 8, verse 39, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have to look at today's reading in light of what has come before. And when we do that, we agree with the the theologian Fleming Rutledge about what Paul is saying in chapter 12. She writes, He is not simply exhorting the congregation to do better. Rather, he is describing the mind of Christ taking shape in the community by the power of the Spirit. This is not something we do. This is something God does in us. So what is God doing in us? Verse 4, Romans 12, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Paul is using the body as a metaphor, saying that just as different parts of the body do different things, different uh, people within the body of Christ have different gifts. Now, this was a common metaphor in first century Rome. But Roman philosophers taught that different classes of people had different gifts. So slaves had the gift of service. Free male citizens had the gift of leadership and so on. Paul is using this metaphor in a fresh way. Gifts are not segmented by ethnicity or sex or class. We see all of these gifts, all of them operating in women. We see all of them operating in men. We see all of them operating in the poor, middle class, the rich, in Jew and Gentile, black, white, Asian, Latino, and so on. The Spirit has given us gifts in measure that Christ possesses fully. All Christians must press into all these gifts as best they can 
but we must each ascertain with the help of our sisters and brothers in Christ which gifts we are especially strong in. Verse 6, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given to you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Again, all Christians press into these gifts as best they can. Everyone serves. Everyone gives. Everyone shows kindness. Everyone is encouraging. But each of us has a gift for doing some things exceptionally well. We have women and men who are great teachers in this church, not just of our classes and uh, community group sermon discussions. First, we have actual teachers, the way Americans look of, uh, teachers, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school. We even have college professors in this church. But I've seen so many of you uh, step into a situation, even on Facebook, if someone says, I need to know how to do something, I've never done it before. And you step in and you say, I, I know how to do that. Let me teach you. Let me show you. You have a gift for it. You have a knack for it. So use that in a way that God directs you to use it. We, we have so many women and men who are strong leaders. And again, not just of our ministries or events that we hold here at the church, but in your homes, on the job, the PTA, leading fitness classes, all kinds of things. You have a gift for it. So use it as God directs you. Some of you give in ways that really stretch your budget. Many of you are very encouraging. Some of you have even come up to me and others, and you've said, you know, I believe that God has given me a specific word for you. Share this with those close to you. Pray about it. Judge it in light of Scripture. Some of you serve like crazy. Many of you are among the kindest people that I know. But the gifts are not enough. Paul goes on to describe how Christians use their gifts for God's glory. And he does so by describing a series of emotions and actions in verses 9 through 16. So let's, let's look at this list together. I'll put them here on the screen in two columns, emotions and actions. So we have emotions in these next several verses like love, sincerity, even hate, what is evil. Notice what is evil, not who is evil. Zealousness, fervor, joy, hope, Humility, where he says, don't be proud. And then we see actions like cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another, work hard, practice hospitality, bless and do not curse, live in harmony, associate with ordinary people, or your translation may say people of low estate. Now, what's the relation between emotions and actions? It, it sure would be easy to do the actions if we could summon the emotions, but sometimes we're just not feeling it. There's a pastor at our sister church named Jonathan Pennington, our sister church Sojourn East. He's also a professor and he writes books. He writes this about our passage. The Christian philosophy understands the complex relationship between our minds, bodies, actions, and emotions. Our choices not only reflect our emotions, but also affect and educate them. 
As we engage in certain practices, they shape and form us. We educate our emotions through actions, eventually finding the wholeness of body and soul. Some of you know this because it's the same in all areas of life, like uh, exercise and diet. Your doctor told you to get in shape, or you just decided to do it on your own. And it took forever, it seemed like, to establish new rhythms, which became new habits, to establish that you are a runner, you are a weightlifter, you are a crossfitter, or whatever it is that you do. And even now, your least favorite part is getting up early and going to exercise instead of sleeping in and then having waffles and coffee later. Once those endorphins hit, you're glad you did. Most of the time, you're glad you did, as you realize how much better your body feels. You don't ever want to go back to that old lifestyle. So the Spirit cultivates virtues within us in the same way, spurring us on to actions which become habits, a habitual way of using our gifts that fills us with purpose, meaning, and life-giving emotions and blesses our sisters and brothers in Christ, which is our primary relational unit here on this earth and the only one that extends all the way into eternity. We will always be sisters and brothers in Christ. Sociologist Christina Cleveland says, to be a follower of Christ means to care deeply about and pursue other followers of Christ. Notice again the emotion, care deeply about, and the action, pursue other followers of Christ, including the ones that we don't instinctively value or like. We need to allow our identity as members of the body of Christ to trump all other identities. But we don't just use our gifts to bless each other. We enrich the lives of our neighbors, even those who are hostile to us. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. When we get out of our own way and we let the Holy Spirit work in us, we can't help but work for the flourishing of all those around us, no matter how they feel about us or if they ever thank us, if they ever show any gratitude. We can't help it because that's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes inside of a person. When he came inside the first believers in Acts chapter 2, just 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, they immediately began sharing with those in need and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Acts 2 verse 47. Why? The goodwill of all the people. Many of these people were complicit in the execution of Jesus just two months before. Why would they have any sense of goodwill toward the Christians? Because of how the Christians were treating them. Then Acts chapter 6, the first controversy of the church. The minority group of believers complained that the majority group was neglecting their widows. The apostles established a committee to fix it, the first deacons. And this seven-member committee came entirely from the minority group. Normally, whoever is in the majority makes the rules, and if a committee is to be appointed, it's controlled by the majority. This is how congressional committees work. This is how the president's cabinet works. The Spirit gives us a different way of approaching people. And what did that result in? Acts 6, verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased. Why? Because the neighbors were watching. And they thought, wow, I want to be a part of a community like that. This most unusual group 
the deacons, took care of this problem in an unusual way. This freed up the apostles to preach the word of God. And this preached word was backed up by the concrete actions of the community as they were directed by the deacons. Centuries later, the evil emperor Julian, Emperor Julian, who hated Christians, said, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity, not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Can you imagine being mad about that? These Christians, they're horrible. They're taking care of our poor people. So just in case you haven't followed all this, let's recap. If you got distracted by anything, um, hard to follow along, maybe you had to go to the bathroom. Let's all recap in the next two minutes, and then we'll head to home base together. All people were estranged from God and from each other. God became human, and we called him Jesus. He lived a perfect life for us, gave himself as a sacrifice for us, rose from the dead, and sent us his spirit. The spirit gives each of us gifts, abilities, talents. He compels us to use these gifts for his glory and the betterment of all humanity so that we will see Christ in each other and our neighbors will see Christ in us. Because the truth is, the answer to the question, where is Jesus? Is he is right before your eyes and he is just behind your smile. This fills us with purpose and gives us strength to carry on until our own resurrection. When we habitually use our gifts as God intends, we begin to feel corresponding emotions like love, hope, and joy, even in hard times. This is especially true when we use our gifts in the service of people we would naturally dislike, distrust, fear, or look down on, or people who are mistreated, overlooked, victimized, because these are the very people that God and the person of Christ came and identified with and included in his kingdom. Jesus is right before your eyes, and he is just behind you your smile. So here we are at the start of 2021. What if we stepped into the reality that Christ is in us and we are in him? If we took this seriously, what could he do for your heart this year? What could he do in and for and through this church this year? What could he do in New Albany, in Southern Indiana this year. Now, don't get me wrong. God's going to do what God's going to do in the world. But let's pray that he does it through us. Let's pray that people can see Jesus in you and that your eyes will be open to seeing Jesus in your sisters and brothers. Jesus is right before your eyes and he is just behind your smile. So here's my Monday challenge to you. I want you to get with at least one friend or your spouse, preferably a community group or a group of friends who know you well. Present them with this list of spiritual gifts from Romans 12 and ask them where they see God at work in your life. 
What are you good at? Where do you show potential? We need each other to help us see ourselves more clearly, just as we need each other to um, make sure that we, we guard our doctrine and that we don't come up with fanciful interpretations of Scripture on our own. Let your friends speak into your life and be willing to speak into theirs to say, you know, I see you as a leader or you are very encouraging or sometimes you're very generous. I I encourage you to step into that more. So do that this week. But before we do, just to clear up if there's a nagging question that anyone has, a question Many of us have had at one point or another, and maybe you have today. Would Jesus really condescend to identify with you? Would he really allow you to identify with him? He answered that question a long, long time ago. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come again. And then he identified with you so much that he died in your place. And because of what happened three days later, we know that he is not dead. We know that one day he will return in a physical body. But until then, the Spirit guarantees that he is right before your eyes and he is just behind your smile. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.